We hope you enjoy listening to this weekly podcast from Lifeline Church. Find out more by visiting lifelinechurch.co.uk. Welcome everybody, it's nice to see you all. Um, I'm going to just share my screen uh, for a minute and then I'm going to talk to you a little bit. I'm going to be speaking um, from uh, John 4 and um, we're going to um, have a look at the, um, the, uh, the Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman at the well. And I just want to pick out some points, bearing in mind that over the last little while we've been talking about uh, evangelism and reaching people that are on our hearts and things like that. Um, and I'm hopefully this is going to give a little bit of uh, inspiration um, for you guys. I'm just going to see if I can share my screen now. Um, so just a bit of context. Um, so um, it starts off with Jesus and the disciples. They're traveling from Jerusalem up to Nazareth. And this was a popular route, but what would happen is you would need to, um, the people that were traveling that route would need to go through Samaria. And quite often, um, parties would stop at a town called Sikar uh, in Samaria. And um, this is where they would stop off for lunch, um, you know, get a takeaway, that sort of thing. And um, this is where we, um, where Jesus and the disciples um, have stopped about midday. Um, I'm now going to stop sharing, um, but hopefully I'm going to continue with my PowerPoint in my brain so I can see what I'm doing. Um, but just a little bit of background, um, just some context really. The, the, the two parties, so the Samaritans and the Jews, they had been sort of sworn enemies, I suppose, for at least 500 years. You look at the history behind um, the, the two parties, um, the the 300 years previous to this point, the Samaritans had allowed the Greeks to use their base, uh, use their land as a base to attack the Jews. And then what happened is a little bit after that, the Jews uh, decided to get their own back and they then invaded Samaria, destroyed all their temples. And then a little bit after that, the Samaritans then raided Jerusalem on the eve of Passover. They defiled the temple by digging up all the bones of those that are buried there. And so there was a lot of to and froing um, between the Jews and the Samaritans. And that just helps, I think, put it into context of um, just the impact that Jesus would have when he actually did speak to this Samaritan woman. And then let's have a look at, um, there he is, Jesus, and it says that he's sitting on the wall of the well. Now, this was probably the well that was dug by Jacob um, hundreds of years previous. And um, this was, uh, the Jacob was one of the, uh, the forefathers of Samaritans. And um, the way that it worked with wells, um, even now, is that um, you don't have like a bucket on the end of a rope like we do here. It would just be a rope and travellers would be expected to carry their own uh, buckets, normally like a little collapsible pouch, leather pouch, that they would hook onto the rope, let down and bring up the water for themselves. Um, and obviously what happened was the disciples had gone off into town to find lunch and they had taken the bucket with them. So they left Jesus sitting there by himself without any means of uh, gathering water for a drink. It says um, in John 4, it says that, um, you know, it was about midday and out of nowhere comes this Samaritan woman. And the first thing you've got to think to yourself is why is she collecting water at midday? When I, when I lived in, uh, in Mozambique, in Southern Africa, all the water collecting was done early in the morning before it got too hot. 
And because everybody was there, you were able, all the women were able to help each other lift these big containers onto their heads so that they could then walk back to their houses. So it was a communal thing, gathering of, of, the, of the, the water by the well. Um, but she's out there by herself at midday. So maybe um, she's been shunned by the other women. And we can see a little bit later that that was probably the case, that she was being ignored by those, the other villagers. Of course, another theory is, is that about midday is when a lot of the travellers would be passing through. And maybe she was out there looking for company, if you get what I mean. Um, but there's Jesus. He's sitting there and he looks at her and he says, will you give me a drink? And he puts himself in a position of dependency on this woman, which is astonishing to start with. Um, and um, given the culture of the day, you, men should never make contact with a woman that they didn't know in public, not even make eye contact. And in fact, um, you shouldn't even talk to your own wife when you're out and about in public. Now, I know some of you husbands are thinking that could be quite a good idea. But actually, um, you know, that's, that was the culture. You wouldn't even talk to them. And so for Jesus to then say to this woman, would you give me a drink, was completely against the culture. And the woman then replies to him, so I'm a Jew. Sorry, I'm a Samaritan and you're a Jew. How can you ask me for a drink? Bearing in mind the hostility between the two groups, the, the Jews and the Samaritans, this was completely out of the normal. And... For Jesus to have a drink from her vessel would mean that um, he would be using a Samaritan cup or a Samaritan vessel, which was unclean. And therefore, that would defile him. And he would have to go through the process of becoming cleansed again. So there was a whole load of stuff uh, in the background there. And the woman knew this. She, she knew, um, you know, how the Jews operated and how the Samaritans operated. And... Um, Jesus doesn't answer her, her, um, her question about how can, you, how can you ask me, but he said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living waters. I think that's, that's quite an interesting answer. And the first thing that I thought about when I look at this is that if you knew the gift of God, well, do you know how it is sometimes when you talk to people about Jesus, when you talk to people about church, they have this sort of preconceived idea of what it's going to be like. You know, I know I've spoken to people in the past and you talk about church and in their mind immediately, they've got this stuffy old building with hard wooden seats, uh, normally cold in the winter um, and just not a, you know, not a friendly place. There's that preconceived idea of what it's like. Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God, well, the gift of God, if you, when you put it back into their culture, for the Samaritans, the, <coughs> excuse me, the, the, for the Samaritans, the gift of God was the Torah, the five books of Moses. And for the Jews, it was the book of the law and the prophets. And for Muslims, it's the Quran. But in every case, the gift of God in their mind was a book was paper, was scripture written down. None of them were thinking about a person. None of those different groups would think, actually, the gift of God is a person. So Renjin said, if you knew the gift of God, he's not talking about the books, he's talking about himself. Which, again, 
it was quite um, it's, it's, it's quite theological. He's having this he's having this um, this conversation with a woman on her level. Sir, the woman said, "You have nothing to draw uh, draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank for it, drank from it himself?" Also did his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become a well, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And you can see the woman thinking about this. You can imagine her. And her first answer is, so give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and I don't have to keep here coming here to draw water. She's thinking to herself, you know what? It would be so good if I didn't have to lug these great heavy jars back to my house. And actually, it'd be even better because I probably wouldn't have to talk to those other women in the village as well. Jesus says to her, Go and call your husband. And her, her response is, I have no husband. And it's always interesting, I think, if you try and, if you try and answer God with a sort of bit of a half-truth, sometimes you get caught out. Because Jesus then says, you, Jesus says, so you, you're right when you say you don't have a husband. The fact is, is that you've had five husbands. And now that the man you're with is not your husband, what you have said is quite true. But it wasn't all the truth. But it's quite true. And I'm going to come back to that verse in a minute, because I think that there is the key that I'm, that I'm talking about this morning. The woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. And she then comes up with this interesting response. She says, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain but you jews claim that the place where we must worship is in jerusalem and i've always thought that's a funny sort of response it feels a little bit out of context but what i realize is that all of a sudden she's realizing that jesus is a prophet she's heard jesus speak the truth about her life and her first thought as is when most people encounter jesus for the first time is how can I be saved? Or where can I go to get clean? So her response is, well, do you want me to be like a Samaritan and go up the go and worship on this mountain? Or do I have to become like a Jew and go to Jerusalem to the temple in order to get saved? I think that's what her response was about. And, the, and Jesus says, woman, believe me, there is a time coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, but we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet, at a, yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they're the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. Can you imagine the woman trying to process this? Worship in spirit? What's all that about? I don't know what he's talking about. 
but she does say this and this is the interesting she obviously knows her scripture because she says she's i know that the messiah called christ is coming i know he's coming and then it's almost like she takes this big sigh and she says yeah and when he comes everything will be explained to us it's almost like there was a longing for an encounter with god it's almost like she's going oh i can't wait for the messiah because then it's all going to become clear then i'm going to be able to meet with god is that like that big sort of yeah and i don't know if you've noticed but the way that jesus talks to this woman he, he treats her with complete respect he acknowledges acknowledges her understanding of scripture he's he's treating her as an equal just the way he speaks to her and then jesus says i declare i the one speaking to you i am he you could look through all the old testament when you when, when um the phrase i am uh, the new testament jesus says i am i am the bread of life i am i am he says it here i am he i am the messiah then it says leaving her water jar the woman went back to town and said to the people come and see a man who told me everything i ever did wouldn't that be a wouldn't that be a headline for the sun read all about it come and hear about everything i ever did i mean well that's a way to get everyone's attention could this be the messiah she says and they came out of the town they followed her now we remember the person in town remember that she's a woman in a male dominated culture and she's telling them you need to come you need to come you need to come and see you need to this could be the messiah and it's it's a it's just interesting i just love the way that god does things even in this story do you know this woman at the well i think she's probably one of the very first evangelists ever talked about in the new testament and guess what she was a woman and she was a samaritan she was an enemy of the jews and yet god does things his own way he used her and it goes on to say that many samaritans from that town believed in him because of that woman's testimony we've heard judy's testimony today we heard testimonies last week our testimonies <coughs> excuse me our testimonies are the most powerful thing he told me everything i ever did so when the samaritans came to him they urged him to stay and he stayed for two days and because of his words many more became believers they said to the woman we no longer believe just because of what you said we've now heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world off her testimony and what i love about this is that um there's this group of worshipers there's this group that are following jesus that weren't even jews they were samaritans and they've established themselves at this this town as a, as a, as followers of jesus a, a small church starts up all because of this woman's testimony the key that i think to this whole conversation was when jesus says to her you are right when you say you have no husband the fact is you've had five husbands where did that come from 
where did that knowledge come from? Do you know, I was thinking about this and we are all equipped by the Holy Spirit to bring words of knowledge to those people that we're reaching out to. And my challenge, I suppose, to both myself and to you is how can I access God's word for the person that I'm talking to, the, the person I'm reaching out to? How can I bring a word that will unlock their situation? What can I say to them that causes them to say, how can I be saved? Do you remember last week, Jamie was telling us the story of somebody that came to one of his youth things. And at the first instance, this guy was completely anti everything. But by the end of the conversation, he turned to, G to Jeremy and said, how can I be saved? That's the sort of uh, supernatural intervention that I'm expecting we could all have, especially at this time of reaching out. We know that the world has turned to online churches. Everyone's looking for a spiritual answer to the current situation. We can ask God. We can have faith to expect God that he's going to give us specific words for the person that's on your heart. All you need then is the boldness to bring it. But that's a talk for a different day. And I, I won't go into that one now. I'm going to finish with a story from a few years ago, many years ago. And some of you that have been around for 20 years or more will remember that we used to do things uh, over the summer called summer evangelism teams or SET, S-E-T, and I think this was SET 95, so that tells you how long ago this was, and uh, we would go to small areas in North London, and during the day we would go off in pairs, and we would talk to people on the street about Jesus, and then of an evening we would put on a little um, sort of like uh, evening event, we would have dramas, and somebody would uh, preach the gospel, and we would pray for people, and we did this in different places across North northeast London. And this particular time, we were uh, we were all in Stoke Newington, and um, there was a few of us there. And we would be paired off, a man and man and a woman, man and a woman, and we would all be sent off for a couple of hours to go and talk to anybody on the street. And I clearly remember, even now, um, I was paired off with a woman. I'm going to call her Val, because that's what her name was. And um, we. I can hear my wife laughing at my bad jokes. <laughs> but we we went off, Van and I went off, and we were again across uh, Stoke Newington Green. Some of you might remember it, might know it. And as we get halfway across the, the green, now Val was quite enthusiastic about everything. And she says, I've got a word. I've got a word for that man over there. <coughs> so I'm trying to keep up with her, and we cross like three lanes of traffic, and we, we get to this man on the, other, on the pavement on the other side. And... Val just says to this man, he says, I've got a word from God for you. And this man was completely, you know, you know, flabbergasted. She said, God says to you, stop what you're doing, turn around, go home and love your wife. And this man just looked at us and burst into tears. What was that about? And he went on to explain he was on his way to sign his divorce papers. And because of some nonsense that had gone on uh, a year before, where neither the, the, each other could forgive each other, they'd taken it to the extreme and they were going to get divorced. And he, he just was in absolute floods of tears and he turned around. We don't know the end of the story. But what struck me was that fact that Val just got that word from God, brought it to that man with boldness, 
I mean, like we, we, we have to trust God for what the ending was. But the challenge is, is we can expect God to talk to us. We can expect God to give us words for those that we are reaching out. All we've got to do is ask him. Thank you for listening to this podcast by Lifeline Church. We hope this message has been an encouragement to you. We are a relational church with a passion to demonstrate God's love to one another and our surrounding community in real and practical ways. We believe that God has called us to have an impact on our families, our communities and our nation. We'd love to connect further with you, so please do visit our website at lifelinechurch.co.uk, on Facebook, lifeline.church.uk or Twitter at lifelineuk.com.